I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings <coughs> chapter 12. <coughs> 1 Kings chapter 12. Once again, we're considering God's rule over the events of this world. This morning, our attention is given to the power of God's Word. The power of God's Word is truly amazing, as we are going to see revealed in this particular portion of Scripture. What God purposes actually comes to pass through the power of His Word. This morning, our text furnishes us with two examples of God's powerful word being accomplished. Two examples of God's powerful word being accomplished. First, God's word is powerfully fulfilled in the events associated with the establishment of Rehoboam's kingdom. In 1 Kings chapter 12, as the narrative opens, Solomon has died, and Rehoboam began to reign. That's found in 1 Kings 11.43. The entire kingdom gathers together at Shechem to make Rehoboam king, verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. However, Jeroboam once warns Rehoboam that he must not be the demanding king that Rehoboam's father, Solomon, was, in verses 2 through 4. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nabal, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy, now therefore lightened the hard service of your father and his, mercy and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. So their request is not to abandon their responsibilities and duties totally, but that they just wanted to have their lives made a little easier. The Israelites made a veiled threat, for they said in verse 4, Your father made our yoke heavy, now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy look on us, and we will serve you. So the implication is that if Rambolm does not lighten the service, they will not serve him, but they will rebel. Well, Rehoboam requests some time to think about his response, what it will be, verse 5. He said to them, go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. So Rehoboam seeks advice of his older advisors, verse 6. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? Their advice to Rehoboam was that he should respond kindly to the people's request, that he should treat them respectfully and carefully, verse 7. He said to him, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. It's an interesting response since these are Solomon's advisors. Solomon, who had been so hard and harsh, they encourage Rehoboam to take a different tactic. Well, Rehoboam then seeks the advice of the younger advisors because he doesn't particularly like that advice. Verses 8 and 9. 
But he abandoned the counsel of the old men that gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? Their advice is, Don't give the people an inch or they'll take a mile. Verses 10 and 11. And the young men who have grown up with him said to him, Thus you shall speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Rehoboam follows the advice of the young men and has a negative response to the demands. Rather than give in, he doubles down, verses 12, 13, and 14, saying exactly what his younger advisors had said. So how are we to think about all those events that just transpired? Verse 15 is a a summary verse. It says, so the king did not listen to the people. That's the great takeaway. They wanted to have a kinder, gentler, easier king, and he goes in the totally opposite direction, saying he's going to be stricter, harsher, more demanding than what Solomon was. So the king did not listen to the people. That's the bottom line. But the emphasis on the text is why? Why didn't Rehoboam listen to the people? What is going on here? What is at work in the mind of Rehoboam? Well, the temptation might be to speculate about Rehoboam's motivations. The temptation would be perhaps to focus on Rehoboam's hardness of heart. He was just extremely callous and difficult. Or the temptation might be to focus on Rehoboam's lack of understanding of human nature. Didn't take into account what kind of response such a, a harsh statement is going to have. Or the temptation might be to focus on Rehoboam's youth and lack of appreciation for the older generation. He just wasn't willing to listen to those that had been involved in the kingdom so much longer and were older and were wiser. Or the temptation might be to reflect on the prayer pressure that he was under and talk about growing up with these individuals and the importance of having the right kinds of friends surrounding you. The great temptations in passages like this is to moralize them, to to try to come up with some kind of principle that applies, that, that, that makes it relatable to us. For example, the importance of following the wisdom of the old as opposed to the ignorance or lack of experience of the youth. Or perhaps an application by some would be a lesson on peer pressure and the dangers of giving in to those 
with whom we have grown up, or still another. If any moral lesson is to be learned from this passage at all, it's that Rehoboam did not consult God. He consulted old men, consulted young men, but he didn't consult God. But all of those are contrived. And they are not what this passage is talking about. It's not what this passage is teaching. That is not to be the takeaway. What is the point of this passage? And the only way you can answer that is by looking at the scripture. And so we have to discipline ourselves and ask ourselves, well, what does the Bible have to say about this? What's the point? The scripture focuses on God's role in the process. The causation was from God. Look at verse 15. So the king did not listen to the people for... Here's the reason for, because it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord. None of those things that we presented, it was because God brought these affairs and turned them about. God was active. God was in control. God was changing the course of events. God brought about the events that would lead to the dividing of the kingdom. So the first set of applications are these. That God's activity... Oh, so let me go on to say in verse 15, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord, and then... Here's the reason that he might fulfill his word, which he spoke by Ahiah the Shilonite to Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. The application. First, God's activity in Revelation is much more than simply accurately predicting and revealing future events. God is not a carnival magician who looks into a crystal ball and sees into the future. You may have heard the expression that hindsight is 2020. Well, it is not just that God has 2020 foresight. It isn't just that God knows the future and what is going to happen and what is going to take place. And when he prophesies, he merely declares what he sees and he knows. But this passage teaches us that God does not simply know the future, but that God governs the future. That God turned the course of events. God brought about a change in the direction that the kingdom was taking and even that Rehoboam was taking, and that the reason for the response was God's activity. It was God that caused Rehoboam to follow the teaching of the counsel of the young men. Even more, the whole course of events were governed by God. 
Why did that happen? Why did Rehoboam follow the advice of the young men as opposed to the older men? Why did the people listen to Jeroboam in the first place? What was God up to? God was fulfilling his stated purpose that was stated earlier. God was taking the majority of the kingdom away from Rehoboam and giving it to Jeroboam. End of verse 15. That he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Ahiah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nabat. To fulfill his word is to accomplish all that God had revealed to Solomon and Jeroboam. God had said, as we looked at last week, I am going to take the kingdom away from you. And I emphasize the eyes, the eyes, the eyes, the activity of God. I am going to do this, and I'm going to give it to Jeroboam. This passage is an application of what God said. I'm going to do this, and guess what? God did it. God did it. God overruled the course of events to bring to pass what his word says. God has the power to fulfill his word. Not just to predict, but to govern and rule. Now, the second example, God's word has the surprising power to dramatically change the course of events. God's word is effectual. God's word has the power to dramatically change the course of events. God's word is effectual. So let's look at how the course of events are unfolding. The people of Israel rebel against King Rehoboam in verse 16. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. However, Rehoboam continues to reign over the people of Judah, as the Lord had said in verse 17. But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Rehoboam's taskmaster is resisted and killed in verses 18 and 19. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So here he is sending this poor taskmaster who's supposed to be ruling over them with scorpions. And they kill him. And the Israelites make Jeroboam king instead. Verse 20. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only, just as God had said. Next, Rehoboam takes all the necessary actions to try and fight to return the kingdom to his control. So, Jeremiah, uh, so Rehoboam is ready to fight and take back these ten tribes. Verse 21, when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors, to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So he's going to take this kingdom back. However, once again, God intervenes and sends the prophet Shemaiah to speak to Rehoboam and the army 
that they were not to go to battle. Verse 22. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the son of God, excuse me, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Israel, of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, give them this word. Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. So the prophet is supposed to go to this army that's assembled and say, stand down, go home, don't fight, for this is of me, this is my will, this is what I want, God says. I'm taking the kingdom away from Rehoboam. Now, they are told what we have been told. That is that everything that's happened was the Lord's doing. Thus, to go to battle would be to go against the Lord. Now, we all know what's going to happen next, don't we? we we've been down this road before. Rehoboam is going to reject the Lord's instruction and go to battle anyway and suffer a miserable defeat and thousands of people are going to die. We can see the inevitable. It's a little late for Shemaiah to be sent to Rehoboam. Rehoboam's mind has already been made up. He already has gathered an army of 180,000 people. He's already assembled them. They're ready to go. They're all fired up. And the thought is, we must restore this kingdom to Rehoboam. And we know that Solomon was told that Jeroboam was to be the next king and that the kingdom was going to be divided and Solomon resisted that and tried to have Jeroboam killed. We saw that last week. So we know what's going to happen. He's just going to resist and fight and it's just going to be a miserable situation. However, something amazing happens. Something incredible. Something totally unpredictable and I would submit to you Incredibly surprising. Look at verse 24. Thus says the Lord, you should not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again. According to the word of the Lord. Here is the amazing point in this passage. God has the power to accomplish the purpose of his word. They listened. They listened. Isaiah 55, verse 11 says, My word shall go forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose 
and shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. In other words, God's word always wins. God's word always accomplishes its purpose. When God's word is resisted, it's only because he allows it to be resisted. And God's word cannot be resisted when he chooses to accomplish what he has said. What is significant is that the power of God's word is over not just the obedient, but the disobedient. For Rehoboam is not a devout follower of the Lord. We just have one more chapter, and then in chapter 14, Rehoboam is discussed at length, and Rehoboam is a scoundrel. Rehoboam is not a believer. Rehoboam is engaged in all kinds of false worship. He does not dedicate himself to the Lord and follow the Lord's instruction out of this heart of belief and submission and a desire to honor and glorify God. No. He responds as he does because God has willed it to be so. In God's grace, in God's grace, he is going to spare the lives of thousands of Israelites that would have died in battle and would have lost because God had said, you're going to have ten tribes and Rehoboam, you're just going to have Judah and Benjamin. But in the grace of God, he doesn't allow that to happen. He doesn't allow the war to take place. Instead, according to his word, in the power of his word, he says, go home, and they go home. The emphasis is totally upon the power of God's word. Notice at the end of verse 24, so they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again according to the word of the Lord, in keeping with the word of the Lord, as a result of the word of the Lord. So, what are the takeaways in this section? It's easy to think that it's too late for God's word to act or to be effectual. It's easy to think the world is too far gone. The lesson of day camp was that God called Paul on the road to Damascus, a road in which he was traveling in order to persecute Christians. One might wonder, wasn't it too late for Paul to be reached? After all, hadn't he had so many opportunities? After all, had he not witnessed the testimony of Stephen? Here was a man who was set in his ways. Here was a man who went so far as to kill people. Here is a person who resisted time and time again. How foolish to think that he would ever come to Christ. But he was confronted the power of God's word. And he was humble and he came to faith. One of the most needed lessons of today is that we need to have an ever-increasing confidence in the power of God's word. A power of God's word to change lives. 
and to change the course of human events. And not to think that people's lives and the course of human events are purely circumstantial and are the results of men's cunning and their biases and their prejudices and their own sinfulness and fail to see a sovereign God behind it all. God's word is powerful. God's word was powerful enough to create the heavens and the earth out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke, and it happened. Jesus, his word was powerful enough to still the stormy sea. Won't read the passage, but you know when he was asleep in a boat, and they woke him, and they said, we're going to perish because of the winds and the storm. And he rose up and he rebuked the wind and the storm. And they were amazed and said, who then is this that he commands even the sins, even the winds and the waters to obey him? Jesus is powerful enough to raise Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus has been dead three days. He shows up at the tomb. People are weeping. Jesus said, didn't I tell you if you believe, you would see the power of God? He said, remove the stone. They said, Jesus, you don't want to do that. He stinks. But they removed the stone anyway. And Jesus did not do CPR. Jesus did not interject the body of Lazarus was some outside influence. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And at his word, Lazarus came out of the tomb. Lazarus came back to life. God's word is powerful. God's word is life-giving. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. In the book of Timothy, and here's the lesson for us today. In the book of Timothy, it describes what it's going to be like in the last days. In the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of their own selves, cudgelous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, despisers of those that are good, Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. They don't really believe in the power of God. They're self-absorbed. It says it's going to be perilous times. Does it sound a bit like today? So what's the solution? What's the solution? Well, the solution is that they were to preach the Word of God. Scripture says, preach the Word of God in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the people are going to have 
itching ears and they're going to add to themselves teachers. We're going to scratch those itching ears. Preach the word in season and out. When it seems to be effectual and when it seems to be ineffectual. In the book of Ezekiel, God calls Ezekiel to be a prophet. And he says to Ezekiel, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, and my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears, and go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Well, the outcome is in the Lord's hand. Verse 5 of chapter 2, And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been set among them. God has a purpose for his word to be preached. Whether people respond or don't respond, that is in God's hand. That is in God's control. We don't worry about the outcome. We need just simply to be faithful to the, the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. I'm tempted to make the hero in this passage Shemaiah. This prophet who God says go to Rehoboam, go to the army and tell them to go home. The faith of a Shemaiah to declare the word of God to a king who's already assembled this mass army. But if you're going to be faithful to the text, it doesn't even refer to Shemaiah's going. He's told to go, and the next thing we have is his words that he spoke. For the emphasis is not on Shemaiah. It's not about Shemaiah's faith. It's about the power of the word of God. This isn't what Shemaiah did. It's what God did through his word. And that is, he stopped Rehoboam and an army in his tracks. Because that was his purpose. A gracious purpose. That Rehoboam and the army of Israel could not resist. Because God's word will be accomplished. The great lesson of this day is the power God's word. Never ever lose faith in the power of God's word. Don't give up. Don't say it's too late for God to act. Will we remain faithful to the word of God when people continue to disrespect it and fail to believe in it like Solomon had done in the past, like David had done in the past when prophets were sent to them and they didn't respond. The prophets did not look for an ulterior method, a, a more effectual means of reaching people. We live in a day and age in which the church is floundering to find a more effectual means of reaching a lost world. What can we do? We're way beyond preaching the word is what so many people think. We tried that, it doesn't work. We're far too gone. Look at how bad things are. It's hopeless. Let's just hold on and hope that we can make it through as Christians 
and keep the faith for ourselves. There are people who believe it's impossible for a revival to break out. There are some people who have given up on family members. Never give up on the Word of God. Never stop teaching the Word of God. Never ascribe results to anything other than the Word of God. You know why seven children made professions of faith this week? Is the power of the Word of God. The Word of God was presented. God worked. And people are saved. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Had the Word not been presented, they would not have been saved. It's the Word. It's the Word. And never, ever give up on the Word, for it is God's Word, the Word of the Sovereign, the Word of the Creator, the Word of God, who doesn't just know the future, who governs the future, intervenes in the course of events, and causes his will to be accomplished. Always, always, always look to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word, and Lord, help us to venerate your word more and more. Give us a greater confidence in your word, not in ourselves, not in our presentation, not in our ingenuity, not in our whimsicalness, not in all of the preparation. Lord, it is your word. So help us to be faithful to it. And help us, Lord, to give you the glory and to acknowledge the incredible power of your word. So help us to know it more fully, to be dedicated to it more sincerely. And Lord, to bring you glory as we declare it, trusting in your word, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.